listen, thanks for, for joining us on episode 20 of VIP Boxing's Bell to Bell podcast. You can watch us on VIP YouTube or search for us on Spotify or iTunes and have a listen. If you can leave a comment, particularly on iTunes, that would be fantastic. It helps them push it. And then if there's something you don't like, say it on YouTube to us or drop us a message on Twitter. We're not, you know, we don't bite. And uh, we want to hear what, what you want, not what, maybe not what we want all the time that we think's right. So let us know. Anyway, I'm Steve Lillis and with me, my co-host and top boxing journalist and storyteller, John Evans, our very special guest this week, one of British boxing's top commentators, a very knowledgeable man who I first worked with at Box Nation occasionally. And it's great to see him pushing on Sky now as a commentator, an interround analyst. Uh, people seem to like him, judging by social media. Andy Clark, uh, thanks for joining us, Andy. Um, it's a thankless task commentating, so I don't think you know you can win. You can you can win at all, but uh, I do notice you don't seem to get the boot put into you as much as other commentators do. So uh, I guess you'd take that as a, I don't know. You take that as a praise or just relief at times. Yeah, I'll take that. I'll take that. It's what what I find is is that um, if I'm getting a if I'm getting a decent balance, if the criticism is balanced out coming from both sides, then then I'm happy because I think that shows that you're getting it. You're getting it right. I get more grief for the scorecards than I do for commentary. People tend to be pretty kind about the commentary and scorecards not not too bad, but I still get, I still get the odd very kind of tasty message about some of my scorecards. And you know that's that's just that comes with the territory. I'm fine with it. It's not it's not a big deal. But I, I do wonder what motivates people to take the time sometimes to look. <laughs> Message me a block capitals, you know, with some, you know, there's some angry people around. Yeah, well, you know, it's what social media does. You know, it, it's great for a lot of things. You know, you know, we were talking just before we, we started recording this about, you know, guys like Sam Jones, how they keep their fighters prominent and use social media really well. And there's others who just seem to use it as a voice to just get at somebody. Maybe they've had their football teams last, so they've had a bad Saturday night or a bottle of wine too many, and they just go at someone at midnight. Yeah, yeah, there's there's plenty of that. I think there's 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 quite a few um, operators out there, shall we say, who if you know if, if uh, the, a member of the local constabulary came round and confiscated their phone after a certain time of night, it would probably do them a lot yeah. of favours. I go back. Service provided. I go back to the Box Nation days, and Buncey had backed me up on this, and you'd go on air at two a.m. and then. For the first 45 minutes, you would just get abused, whatever was going on. If there was a bad fight, you'll be getting abused for it. And by about quarter to three, it slows down. Three o'clock, it's going. Quarter past three, it's gone. And it's just proper boxing fans then. They're not too bad. But it just seems at two o'clock. And a lot of the Sky stuff, when you look at Twitter, it seems to be midnight on a Saturday. So make of that what you will. How are you, how are you John, anyway? Sorry, John, you were going to... Come in then, sorry. Steve, I'll say just before we start this, Andy, when you're doing your scorecards every three or four rounds as a fight goes on, when you're watching the fight, do you have the Sky commentary on or are you watching it as if you were in the, in the arena with no commentary? So, I, yeah, I do have to have the commentary in my ears because otherwise I, I won't know when they're going to come to me. Um, that's, the only, that's the only thing about it which isn't really ideal. Um, at the minute, it, it's because usually we'll be at ringside, obviously, um, and you're surrounded by people. At the minute, I'm up on the kind of presentation stage, so I can kind of really just zone out and watch it by myself without anyone jogging me on the shoulder or saying, oh, what do you think about this or that? 
Uh, but I do, yeah. The, the commentary is 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 always there. I just try and I don't know. I just try and tune it out. Yeah. <laughs> so hopefully Adam and Matt won't take big offence <laughs> of that. But yeah, it's not that. Ideally, you would remove that as well, and then you're and then you're really kind of as it should be. But but uh, but I can't. Are you okay there, John? I see you're sporting the VIP tracksuit, mate. Mine's still upstairs there. What we got our bags of them on the, the same day when we were seeing Woody the other week. Yeah, do a little bit of advertising for Steve. He's looked after us with these tracksuits, hasn't he? So I thought I'd, I thought I'd break it out of a break it out of a packaging and wear it for once. <laughs> um, you know, regular watchers, listeners know how this pod goes: quick fire stuff, three minutes each topic, and at the end of three minutes, John gets a little bit. Annoyed if you're still talking. And what happens, John? Right, round one, we'll pass to you, John, as usual, to start. Yeah, uh, well, like all of us, we all watched Canelo against the Yildirim at weekend, didn't we? Um, I was so disappointed with Avni. You know, we had we had his manager, didn't we, all week, building him up. He's here for the glory. He's not here for the money. And uh, unfortunately, the whole occasion was just a little bit too much for Avni, wasn't he? He went into his shell. Um, I just wonder if these fighters, when they get the opportunity of a lifetime, they perhaps owe it to themselves to, to give everything. If, if you look back through history, look at, um, pluck some names out of thin air, people like Tony Galento or Chuck Wepner, um, they were outclassed, they were never expected to win, but they put their all in and they had moments which have lived on in boxing history. Look at um, Azuma Nelson against Salvador Sanchez, came as a complete underdog, fought his heart out and, and people loved him. Even to a lesser extent, someone like... Um, Augie Sanchez against Nassim Hamed. He put it all on the line, made an exciting night, got beat, but give it his all. And uh, Avni, unfortunately, goes in the list of people like Damon Reed, who Herbie Hyde fought, or Willie Fisher, who Herbie Hyde fought. He, went, he goes in the list of bad challengers. I just wonder if you can think of any um, tame title challengers. Oh. oh. You know what? There's been some where you've come in and you just seem going... Survival mode. I go back to um, not a challenger. I'll tell you, it was really tame. He was not going bad. You go back to Christian Hamer when he fought Fury. That was a guy who just went in there, had no ambition, no desire to win. Came with a reputation then. You know, he's gone on and done very well since. But that was a man that wasn't a major title, but got in the ring and never tried a leg because he knew he couldn't win. And this guy the other night just decided, I, mean, I didn't watch it live, I watched it subsequently, John, since I knew you were going to talk about it. He just bowed out because he knew he was going to get hurt in the next two or three rounds the other night. And, um, but I, I think that someone like Christian Hamer, who's not a bad fighter, they just get in there, they're mentally beaten before, before, before they get in the belt and decide they're not going to win. He did. He did the same thing, didn't he? In a in a final eliminator with Povetkin, that was him, wasn't it? Yeah, he did fight Povetkin. Yeah, that fight for Sky, and it was horrific. Like he you know, on on the line is to become mandatory. I think at that point with the WBA and and another one of the governing bodies, the WBO, I think, and um, and he just covered up for twelve rounds, and and it's not a world title fight, but it's it's you know if you win it, you get one, and I just couldn't. I couldn't get my head around that at all. I remember watching uh, Kevin Bizier against Kel Brook. And I guess if somebody's outclassed and they know they're going to be, they probably just don't want to be embarrassed. But at the same time, that translates into not really doing anything. Um, and I guess Brian against Demetrius Andrade, 
he admits yeah. afterwards, doesn't he, Brian Rose, that every time he tried to do anything, he just got hit and it was painful. And, and I can I can understand that. Yeah, yeah. it's like Michael Jennings. Oh. Hey, old Steve. Round two, the new Gypsy King. Will um, Billy Cat or can Billy Joe Saunders become well, the upset king almost, not just the Gypsy King, uh, and beat Canelo? Um, you know, Canelo, you know, Andy was talking to me yesterday just on WhatsApp, and he's making a point about Canelo being busy, just like you were last week, John. But you know what? I think for Billy Joe to have any, and I think it, it's a huge ask. I really find it, you know, that we know you know, what, what Billy Joe is, you know, that he's a slick, southpaw. But you know what? I think the key to him having any chance in this fight is sparring partners. I think he's got to get sparring partners in as good, if not better, than anyone he's beaten before. He's got to get like a Daniel Jacobs in. I mean, you know, we think of great Billy Joe Knights. You know, Andy Lee was five years ago, Chris Eubank six or seven years ago, um, Lemieux three years ago, and... Since Lemieux, you know, Charles Amadou is, is Sufi, and there's been a couple others. Martin Murray, who was at the end of his career, and was it Cossero he, he fought? And I just think he hasn't had, I just think they've got to get really good sparring in, sharper than anyone he's ever fought. Someone that's going to really work him in sparring to have any hope at all. Otherwise, you know, I, I don't think there's a chance in the world here. I don't know what, what you guys think, whether he could have done with better opposition the last three, four years. Or last three years since Lemieux? Yeah, I, I think definitely, yeah. I, I think that Billy Joe three years ago up against the Canelo of today, I'd have given him maybe a 35, 40% chance, a good, a good chance. Yeah. Now I'm probably down to kind of like 10, 15% um, just because of that. But I was talking to Matt Macklin and Sonny Edwards about this earlier and Sonny made a, an interesting point, which is that if anyone, fighters from traveller backgrounds was his was his kind of theory. If anyone's capable of doing this kind of thing, it's them because they've been doing this that long that they've got those kind of reserves to pull on. And, and he mentioned Fury. Fury obviously got completely out of shape, way worse than Billy Joe's ever been. Uh, and look what he did against Wilder. And none of us thought he could do that. Well, I definitely didn't. Anyway. No, 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 nor did I. I'm not going to, you know, we're, people saying now I knew that we knew he could beat Wilder. He knew it was going the first fight. We were going to be close. And there weren't many people giving Tyson a chance. You, you're right, I think, Andy. I, I think the fight being at super middleweight is the final nail in Billy's coffin here. I, I don't think he punches hard, hard enough. He's going into a fight with Canelo with one plan. Um, so basically you're saying, I'm going to stay away from Canelo for 12 rounds and outbox him. If you're only giving Canelo one problem to solve, I, I don't think you can beat him. Um, Billy will rise to the occasion. He'll mess him around for a few rounds. He might look fantastic for three or four, but it'll just be a matter of time. Can Canelo's a much more patient guy than he was when uh, people like Trout and Lara were messing him about. Uh, but I think the deciding factor is Billy just doesn't punch hard enough. Andy, your first topic. So, punch stats. I don't really understand why anybody pays any attention to punch stats. Uh, in this country, I think nowadays we generally don't particularly. Um, we don't really use them on, on TV broadcasts anymore. In America, they do. To an extent, I understand that more because America, American sport is very stats heavy. They, they do love stats and they do have sports which I think are more amenable to them in that a stats readout for basketball, NFL, baseball maybe can tell you more than stats do for hours. I think that's probably true. But punch stats just tell you 
whether some punches have landed in the opinion of somebody sat at ringside trying to judge whether they have or they haven't. And they're split into power punches and normal punches. But they don't tell you what effect they have. They don't tell you what effect the punches have. And scoring boxing is all about determining effective punching. Whose punching has been more effective, has done more damage. And it tells you nothing about that. Nothing whatsoever. So I just don't, I just don't get it. I just don't get it at all. Um, and having two categories is probably the best you can do with it, to be honest, because how, how many other ways, how many more ways could you subdivide it? But at the same time, is one power punch equal to three normal punches or five normal punches? Or what is it? Well, it's just I don't I don't understand. I don't understand it at all. And I never have. I mean, well, quality of punches is far more important than volume. And the thing what I don't like about it is every time there's a close fight, if the stats lean heavily in one person's favour, people wheel it out as an excuse. It's like in football, if a team has 10 corners to naught and lives 1-0, a fan of, oh, we had 10 corners, it means we're all over them. It means nothing. And that's the thing, that it, it can be wheeled out as an excuse and people cite that as a reason for a rematch. And anyone who knows boxers watching will know the other person won, even if it was competitive through the number of punches you were throwing. Yeah. I mean, look, a perfect example, I suppose, was a couple of weeks ago with Avanesian and Kelly. Avanesian was working inside, just touching to the body, those horrible little stabbing shots and just ebbing away at Kelly for the entire fight. But if you look at punch stats, I've not seen them, but I, I assume over the first four rounds, Kelly was way ahead. But these stats are coming into everything. I, I see there's even a stat now people using football for expected goals. Yeah. Which is worked at. That's just laughable, isn't it? You know, it's completely laughable. The only thing that matters at the end is who wins. And that, I think that's true in every sport. The final result is the be-all and end-all. How you get there is a, a different completely. And, and with, you know, with, with, as we've been saying, punch stats, they don't, they don't tell you what effect a punch has. And that's, that is what it's all about. So I just find it absolutely baffling when, like Steve says, somebody will wheel out some punch stats to try and prove their point when it proves absolutely Nothing. And as I said, they're compiled by humans at ringside, just like judges. Hi, Mandy. Right, on to these, um, the heavyweights. After uh, watching Zhang this weekend and watching Joseph Parker against Junior Farr, it, it just cemented to me that the time's right for these, the new breed of heavyweights to just put the foot down to the floor here. I, I think the division's there for the taking. I, I don't think it's harsh to say if we were looking at pure skill sets and ability, if Joseph Parker and Junior Farr were in the middleweight division. I, I think they'd be maybe scraping into the top 50. You know, I, the heavyweight division is a law unto itself. I look at people like Hergovic, Yoka, uh, George Arias, who I really like, but doesn't fight enough. Even Dubois, um, Mahak Murdov, Fabio Wardley. Fabio Wardley could easily, in my opinion, target Joseph Parker within the next eight months. I'd, like Steve, we were talking to Steve yesterday. At times, Parker just looked like a domestic heavyweight. He's not a frightening fighter. There's no snap there. You might, you're might you going to get your stamina tested. You have to be on your awares. But I just think for these guys who are young and ambitious at heavyweight, there's money to be made, there's rankings to be had. And I just think the people above them are there for the taking. I think it's a, a wide open division outside, perhaps for the top three or four. Yeah, I'll just be quick because it's important, I think, to listen to Andy on this. But... You know, there's guys like Fraser Clark coming through from the Olympics who, who wants to be rushed. But you say these guys like Yoker and Hergovic is not just Parker being disappointing. The heavyweight division's passed Parker by now, in my opinion. You know, maybe he'll come and prove us all wrong. But guys like Fury, Joshua, Wilder, Povetkin, White, Ruiz Jr. 
you, you know, just from the top mid. They're not going to be about in two years. Fury and Joshua are going to make so much money in the next this year if they have two fights. They're not they're not going to be around in three, four years. So there's another reason for guys like Yoka and Hergovic, particularly Hergovic is the one I like, to, to, to stake their claim now, to move through now and take on these guys. If I was Kali San, I'll be on I'll be on to Hergovic's people tomorrow, Parker's people tomorrow for Hergovic. Yeah, I, I I I agree with everything you both you both said. I, I do the the rankings for Sky and my heavyweight top ten. The orders changed a bit at times, but the personnel has basically pretty much been the same for the last three years. And I've been wanting to freshen it up, but there just hasn't really been a reason to do it. Um, but if any one of them that you mentioned got a decent win against someone like Parker, decided to have a fight against someone like Chisora. Um, they could, you know, they could crack Carlos Takam. They, they, these are lads who have been in and around that top 10 for that three year period. They could just, you know, they, they can make that step up. They can definitely, they can definitely do it. Someone like Hergovic can definitely do it. And somebody turning over from the Olympics could, could make rapid progress yeah. there if they're prepared to be, you know, a bit bold. Because yeah. there's so many names in that top 10 who were, uh, I mean, they're done really, aren't they? Well done. On three minutes. Go on, Steve. Bruno, Bruno. Um, I don't know if you you guys have watched the Sky documentary yet the other night. Um, there was a bit too much topspin in the way some of the contributors were trying to sell Bruno and sell the fights against Tyson as 50-50, but forget that. I thought the footage that you know they put it was all old footage that they put together, the documentary makers was fantastic and it just took me rolling back. And I was almost in tears watching Bruno those early days, you know, the chance of Bruno, Bruno. And it was a reminder how mainstream and loved Frank Bruno was. Um, you, you know, I'm a bit older than you two. I was brought up in the same area of London as Frank. And he used to pop in a pub at Clapham Junction near where I lived when he was about 18. This was before he went professional. And if he was in, in the, and he, he wasn't a drinker. I don't want to say he was in there knocking back pints of lager. And if he was in there, word would get to the pub around the corner that Frank Bruno was in the pub. He hadn't even turned professional. This was 1980 when I was 18. He didn't turn professional until 1982. And you know what? That the other night just you should be a reminder how popular you can become. And I imagine someone like Bruno now in his personality, I wonder if he'd ever be as big now as he was then because... The age of social media, there'll be more dissection of the opponents, particularly the early ones. Now, Mickey Duff brought, always brought in opponents more often than with winning records. But if you analyse these guys, they might be 15 and 2 and beat an 8, 10, 12 guys who had never won a fight. But it was just a fantastic documentary. And um, I hope in years to come that people who are young getting into boxing now will see something like a, a, a programme made on Mayweather Hatton what that was like that week in Vegas to show people what boxing has been. And I just thought it was a fantastic documentary and uh, I was quite teary watching it. <laughs> yeah, well, one thing I, I, I kind of took from it was, was I think you realise as well, looking back on it, what an enormous amount of pressure you're under when you've got that terrestrial TV fame, which he had. And I was watching it with my wife, well, she was kind of half watching it and my wife's black. And when they have that bit where Lennox calls him an Uncle Tom, yeah. she just, she just winced and just went, whoa, that is wild. Yeah, that, that was a big thing. Runo. Yeah. Imagine that. I mean, and you can, the, the post-fight interview when he's saying, that I'm not an Uncle Tom, oh, I'm not a sellout. Yeah. You could tell how much stuff like that really hurt him. Yeah. And I'd, I'd forgotten about that. 
You know what? And he, he was he, he was a fa face. Sorry, George, he was a face for Black Britain in the eighties. That there's no doubt about. He was, you know, we had there was footballers, but he was the biggest Black Britain sportsman in the eighties, and he was a face them, and he almost united people. You never hear racism around Frank. You know, if you look at the audience that followed him, who went to boxing in the eighties, was eighty percent white. Hang on, Yo, go on, Andy. Final topic. Finish us off. Okay, so I'm calling this one. It's not what you like, um, because one of my least favourite phrases in all the boxing, probably my least favourite, is "it's what you like." And you hear it trotted out when somebody is struggling to find a winner in a round or find a winner in a fight, and they will say, "It's what you like." And what they mean by that is somehow what they mean by that is that oh, well, I can't quite work out who's done the most effective punching. So in that case, it's totally fine to decide who's won the round based on whose style you prefer. Now, that's complete bullshit because you decide who's won a round by calculating effective punching. And you have to try as hard as you possibly can to do that. Watch as carefully as you can, as closely as you can, and try as much as you can to make a decision. Now, boxing can be subjective to an extent, but only in as much as... If the three of us watch around and we're all doing that, we might have different interpretations of who did the most damage. That, that is a subjective thing. But it's not subjective in that it is not a matter of personal taste. You don't award someone around because you prefer them going forward and you don't like the guy because he's backpedaling. You, you don't award around because you prefer somebody's style, uh, because you think that their, their execution is better. It doesn't matter how the punches land it just matters what lands and this idea of it's what you like to that takes it into this realm of pure personal taste i just it's crazy but you hear it a lot i i, I just wonder if um, a few judges maybe subconsciously just have a style of boxing they prefer what it might be an interesting thing to do is look at some of the scorecards we've had recently or even not controversial ones just bog standard one of the mill scorecards and just see which style of fighter certain judges seem to prefer i wonder if that comes into it more obviously we all know that boxing's not crook not crooked at the top level you know i don't i think we all accept he's not judges getting a uh, paid in brown envelopes but maybe it's just a subconscious thing of they just prefer a style and gravitate towards that and maybe how do you possibly shake a judge out of that? How do you how do you break that cycle in the mind of liking one particular style of fighting? That, that's a good point. And it goes back to something I said the other week that um, I think also a lot of the judges at the moment, they're only using A-star referees. Even before, you know, that was some, I think also judges become so familiar and referees become so familiar with a certain style. They see that style impressing and that sticks with them. And, Steve Gray's a good referee, a good judge, but, you know, he was in controversy the other week around that Zelfa fight, I think, wasn't he? Um, Steve Gray has scored or scored or refereed Zelfa Barrett's last five fights. And I think I mentioned that the other week. Howard Foster's been in three, three of his last four. And I think there's too much familiarity. These guys, see, you won't get the same football referee, referee in Liverpool, you know, five games on the rip, on the spin and say... Well, when, you know, Alexander Arno's break, breaks into the box, I have to watch for a certain tackle. You become so familiar. And I think that's also a problem with, 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 with the judging and refereeing, you know, which is, goes back to and that. And it becomes through the familiarity. It does become what I like about that person. Yeah, oh, I, I agree. Yeah.
Yeah, me too. Me too. And it, it, sometimes, you know, another thing I hear sometimes, which is kind of related, is someone will say, oh, I'll give that round to, to John Evans because he did the cleaner work. Well, we're all looking for clean work. But I think what people are really saying when they say that is he did the more attractive, more technically correct punching. Yeah. And so Matt, that's Matt, too, isn't it? Matt Skelton would never have won a fight. That's it. That's it. You know, you look at Taylor against Pursoon, for example, the rematch. I scored that to Pursoon. Loads of really close rounds. I wasn't completely... I, I would never say I'm definitely right. But when I read a lot of the analysis afterwards, it did seem to me that people were saying that Taylor deserved to win that fight because it was kind of a victory for proper boxing. That's not like... That's, that's not a valid argument. It doesn't matter how you do it. It just matters that you... It doesn't matter how you get them there. It just matters that you land. You can look, you can look amazing or you can look horrible. It doesn't... You know, it shouldn't matter. Yeah, and I remember, ref, I'm not going to name this referee. He's, he's not about now. Um, but he, he was brought up by Harry Gibbs. And Harry Gibbs always used to tell him, if you're ever refereeing a, or judging referee in a close fight and you know it's a close fight, make sure you divvy up the rounds. <laughs> was, yeah, yeah. That, that was Harry Gibbs' way of doing it. Well, I know this is a close fight. Well, perhaps he won that fight, but he nearly won that. I'll give it to him. So I know it's close. And that way you avoid a lot of your controversy. Yeah, yeah, I, I can see that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I was talking to someone about that not that long ago, which is that, you know, I don't give drawn rounds and I will try my hardest, although it can always get in your head. I'll try my hardest not to do what you just said there. But sometimes it has occurred to me, it would make my life easier if I did do that. Like first really tight round, I'll give to John Evans. I get another really tight one. I think I'll give that Steve Lillis. And just keep doing that because then you're never going to go too far one way, are you? But I mean, for me, that's kind of bottling it a bit. But um, I, <laughs> I understand oh, why people do it. I've bottled it before. I've bottled it plenty, Andy, in your <laughs> eyes. Then because I've, I've often I've had someone. These are really close rounds, but I've got him four three one up after four rounds. He's only got to win another three at the next eight or whatever to get a draw. So I'll suddenly, if the fifth round's close, but he's won it, I'll give it the other way. So I'll bottle it plenty of times. Andy Clark will call me the bottle job from now on. <laughs> you sure. probably will as well, John. I'm pretty, sure I've, I'm pretty sure I've got selective memory on this one, to be honest. I'm, I'm fairly confident that I've done it myself. I'm fairly confident I have. How are we for time, John? Well, we went way over the last, but we always let the last round run over, don't we? <laughs> yeah, we must be. I'm getting told to upgrade now on this, so... What? Yeah, got 10 minutes left, Steve, so yeah. I've lost you now. Oh, no, I've got you back now. I'm back. All right, then, fellas, well... Andy, I hope you enjoyed having a chat for 20 minutes or so with us. Yeah, very much, very much. This is right on my street, this kind of thing. I knew it would be when, um, when you asked me. I've watched some of the other ones and uh, it's a good idea. It's a good idea. Time limits are a good idea because, you know, as I know from doing my own one, you could go on forever if you're not careful. You can go on forever. It's like you've got to keep it interesting and it's difficult, that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. It can be, yeah, definitely. All right, fellas. Well, thanks very much for joining us this week. And Andy, I hope you'll come back in a few weeks' time. Um, good luck with your podcast with Matthew Macklin that's flying up the iTunes charts. And uh, good luck with... Um, you, you got a couple of weeks off from commentating now or the zone finding you something to do this week? Um, I think I've got a couple of weeks off. I might have something the weekend after next and then there's, then it gets quite, it gets quite busy again. But, um, yeah... It's, uh, I made my DAZN debut last, last Friday for that Italian show. Yeah, it was good fun. It was good fun. 
I mean, they're taking stuff around the world by the look of it. I think they've got something coming up in Thailand, Uzbekistan, you know, this global thing. They're, they're, um, they're really going for it. Well, let's hope they put you on a plane and start sending you around the world. I'm not sure Mrs. Clark will welcome you in Uzbekistan one week, Thailand the next, and Madrid the next, and then back to manufacture chocolate the following week, mate. I'm not sure you'll get away with that. Yeah, maybe not, maybe not. As you can see from the name on my screen, this is my Zoom, but she's commandeered my Zoom. <laughs> um, well, that's why it says Amarachi Clark on the uh, on the display. Lou DiBella the other week just said to me at the end of, I've got to ask, man, that's a real unusual name. Andy, while you're on, give the, uh, give the chocolate company a plug as well while you're on. Oh, of course, yeah. So my wife runs a company called Lucoco, which is L-U-C-O-C-O-A, chocolate. And it's kind of premium dark chocolate. There's some milk chocolate. There's a white chocolate in there. You can buy it online thecocochocolate.com um it's really taken off during lockdown it's um it's amazing what she's done with it uh to be honest it really is and uh, i helped out during the first lockdown for about three months just wrapping chocolate bars which i mean it passed the time <laughs> i mean is the time doesn't it but it was by the end of three months i was she's she's got this amazing way of i can like a fighter in a corner who doesn't want to go back out for another round i'll be sending out distress signals left right and center dropping loads of hints about how i'm really done with this now i don't want to keep doing it and she just ignores you she just ignores you kind of like wipes you down with a towel whatever puts your cum shield back in and just pushes you back out there it's uh it's funny it's funny you better just uh -huh. hope your good career in boxing continues otherwise you're back wrapping chocolate for the rest of your life well, the, the, one thing we can say, the one thing we can say is that Andy Clark's not having a yieldering. <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, my motivation to keep doing this is, is, is high because the alternative doesn't bear thinking about. <laughs> Fellas, thanks very much. Great fun and you, you both take care. You too. Right, For all boxing, info, news and latest interviews, amateur and pro, across and off, click and subscribe. VIP boxing promotions. Also, Twitter, Instagram and Facebook.